Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to episode 15, 50 First Dates, Dating After Divorce. Ugh, this week we'll be talking about that beautiful, ugly thing called dating. The highs and the lows, the do's and the don'ts, the agony and the ecstasy. My goal this episode is to share my experience with dating after divorce and to help people understand that the insecurity and uneasiness you might feel are completely normal. It's okay to take time to feel ready to date after divorce. I also want to give you some tips on safety in dating after divorce, because for many of us, it's a completely new dating realm. We grew up without dating apps, without online dating, and now you basically have to download those apps. You have to log on to these online dating profiles and create uh, an image of yourself, basically, to share with others. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading. I recently finished New Life After Divorce, The Promise of Hope Beyond the Pain. And in it, Bill Butterworth talks about dating, and in particular, his first date with a woman named Kathy. Quote, My first date with Kathy is a classic example of how not to charm a woman, but she liked me anyway. I had met Kathy at a church I was speaking at in Southern California. I was able to have only a five-minute conversation with her after the meeting, but I boldly asked for her address and phone number because I knew I wanted to ask her out. In a remarkable display of God's grace, she gave me her information. Soon we began writing and calling, not much, but enough to know both of us were interested, end quote. So to then summarize, he finds himself back in her area a few weeks later, and he asks her out. But he asks her to pick the restaurant, and he asks her to pick him up. Then he goes straight to this, quote, I knew this woman was special. It's the only reason I can offer for what transpired. Take note, dear reader, this is the tackiest tack a Turk can take on a first date. This explains in no uncertain terms why I had about 100 first dates. Do not try this at home. Under normal circumstances, this will blow up in your face. The author then gave his date a Myers-Briggs personality test on a first date. It'll be fun, he said. This is a perfect example of the awkwardness of dating after divorce. The truth is, after divorce, many of us are as clueless as Bill Butterworth when it comes to dating. Many have been married for years and years, some even decades, and the thought of dating brings a little trepidation, or a lot of trepidation, but it also includes a sense of excitement and novelty, a chance to move on and experience those giddy new love feelings we had back before we were married. I know that I felt more than awkward when I first started dating after divorce. 
I first downloaded a dating app a month or so after my divorce was final, and I actually stopped wearing my wedding ring about a month after that. I hadn't wanted a divorce, despite how my marriage ended, because for me at the time, eternity meant eternity. It didn't mean until whims and fancies take over. But I decided to move on, and I downloaded a dating app, and I started swiping on girls. And let me be honest, I felt like I was cheating. <laughs> I know, it's weird. I certainly wasn't ready to start dating, but I also felt like I had to do something to break out of that depressed hole that I was in. And I swiped on a couple girls, got a few matches, and started chatting. After about a week, I asked a girl out on a lunch date. I was working from home at the time, so I made lunch, asked my son to babysit for a couple hours, and I drove out to Salt Lake City, probably 30 minutes too early, which gave me time to just sit and sit and sit in the car, the nerves taking over. As the time grew nearer, I finally got out of my car and I started walking toward the restaurant. And then I received an alert on my phone. Hey, sorry, I have to cancel. A big work issue came up and I can't get away for lunch. Can we reschedule? I sighed the biggest sigh of relief <laughs> and I walked back to the car and I drove home. Now, a couple days later, we were able to meet for lunch. We sat, we chatted, and it was fine. There were no sparks, but I had officially broken that first barrier to dating after divorce. And what did it teach me? Well, let me provide a metaphorical example. Growing up, each year we would hike up to the top of Mount Timpanogos with the Boy Scouts, and we'd do this in preparation for our summer 50-mile backpack trips. The entire hike is about 15 miles, and near the top of this mountain is a glacier lake. Usually it's devoid of ice except for the one side where the glacier feeds into it. Now my brother and I, being of unsound mind, would pass around a hat and gather any candy or money that people would offer us to jump in the water. At the time, you know, three bucks was a massive amount of money. And then we'd have the Skittles and the Snickers and, you know, the candy. Well, after we had a nice pot, we'd strip down to our skivvies, We'd quickly wade into the lake and submerge ourselves completely in the icy blue water before we jumped out. Well, one year, the lake was completely iced over besides this hole that was about five feet by five feet. I completely noped my way out of jumping in that year. But my brother, bless his heart, passed around the hat. One of our, leader, one of our leaders had brought a rope. So my brother stripped down to his tidy whities and the leader tied this rope around his waist and followed him out onto the ice. Like me in the dating world, my brother dipped his toe in the water, and I could see that he had his doubts, but with all the gusto and macho a young Boy Scout can muster, he jumped off the edge and into the water. And then, I can only describe it as a miracle... Somehow my brother submerged fully in the water and with no help from the scoutmaster with the rope, he shot out of that hole as if his feet were jet engines and he landed back on the ice and quickly made his way back to the edge of the lake with his teeth chattering. 
Like my first foray into dating, he had dipped his toes in the water and then jumped in fully. When I dipped my toes in the water, I realized that I was not ready. It wasn't a bad date. I just knew that I needed to wait longer before I decided to jump in fully. And that's dating tip number one for dating after divorce. You can dip your toes in the water, but be prepared before you jump in fully. It was another two to three months before I jumped in fully, and I probably wasn't even prepared at that point. Now, I originally called these the rules of dating after divorce, but I realized that people, divorces, backgrounds, etc. are so vastly different that a rule for one person may not be applicable for another person. For example, some people who have been separated for a while or who have had long divorces are ready to start dating before they're even divorced. For other people that are healing from infidelity, abuse, or an unexpected divorce, it might take a while before they're ready for dating. That's why I changed them to dating tips, because they are more guidelines than anything. And I've gone over the first one, and there are four remaining that I'll talk about in this episode. But let me add one caveat. In this episode, I'm only going to talk about those initial dates after divorce. The ones that don't get serious. The ones that don't get exclusive. I'll leave those to another episode. Um, it's especially apropos today because I recently got out of a three-month relationship I had been in. Um, we broke up uh, yesterday, to be exact. And so it just reiterates the fantastic crappiness of dating after divorce. So, as I said, it was another two to three months after my first date that I decided to try again. Now, for those of you who have been married for 15 plus years, the dating world has changed drastically. My younger brother was dating when online dating was first becoming a thing, but it was viewed as a place where the crazies hung out. This was before iPhones, so the dating apps didn't yet exist, when I was dating, you met people in real life. You'd go to a singles activity, to a party. You'd meet people at work, and you'd have a chance to see their personality and whether it meshed with yours, and then you'd ask them out. It was also different in that all my friends were single, or at least not married. I had no responsibilities except for college and work, I was young, I was strong, so staying up until 1am for weeks on end wasn't a big deal. And there was also a never-ending list of activities that you could do with the girls you started dating, even if it was just hanging out with friends. I remember constant activities, going to a corn maze, to a haunted forest, going to Provo and writing messages to my brother who was at the missionary training center. I went to high school musicals, I did binge fests of the 24 DVDs, which is a great show, by the way, at least the first season, as it's one of the only ones I watched. You just had no responsibilities and a big friend group. Oh, how that has changed. I don't think I've met a single person that I've asked out on a date through anything other than dating apps. I went from meeting in big groups with lots of friends with avid social lives to... Nothing. And so we have to figure out how to date while juggling schedules. 
juggling kids, juggling work, juggling drop-offs and pickups. And even more, we've gone from starry-eyed romantics who believed in the glory of love to damaged pessimists, or not even pessimists, I would say realists. We now have trauma that we bring with us into dating, and others have trauma that they bring into dating. This trauma can be lack of trust because of how our marriages ended. It can involve a complete lack of confidence because that was destroyed during your marriage as well. This trauma makes it that much harder to make a true connection that lasts. It had been so long since I had dated that online dating wasn't even a thing when I was in college. My younger brother was the first person I knew to delve into online dating, and with it came new problems. So here's dating tip number two. Trust selectively. The example I'll give of this is from my brother's dating experience pre-marriage. He was chatting with a girl he met online, and they agreed to meet up for a date. Well, he walked into the movie theater lobby. I know, a movie on a first date, it's not a great move. But he did, and then he saw her walk into the lobby. This was not the woman from the pictures. The woman was 10 years older, much different, and so my brother ducked and ran to the movie theater. Now, don't worry, we've all given him grief for this. Well, the girl found him in the theater, they finished their movie date, but there was no way he was going to go out with her again. It'd be so tough to start a relationship based on an initial lie. But I've experienced the same thing. People post recent pictures. If you weigh 100 pounds more than 10 years ago, own it. Do you expect someone to walk in and say, you know what, I don't care that you lied to me. I went on one date with a girl who was cute as the dickens. She had posted pictures that were taken 10 years ago, 50 pounds earlier. If I had seen her current pictures, I still would have swiped right because she was adorable. But when you lie, it's an automatic turnoff for me. There was also the case that I found out she was still married over sushi, so that played a factor in it as well. Yes, she was separated. Yes, she was filing. But that's something that should be shared at the beginning, not over dinner. Now, this new environment of dating is because we've gone from meeting in person and asking out people we like to almost exclusively meeting online and on apps. For women, you have to deal with a never-ending deluge of dick pics and multiple matches, especially if you are what the world considers thin and beautiful. And for men, you have to fight for each match, unless you're a specific height with a chiseled jaw, Okay, I'm stereotyping both men and women's experience, but there is a truth to all of that. Most women I talk to have received the random unsolicited pick. Heck, even I've received a random unsolicited dick pick. And most men on the dating apps do have to fight for responses from the smaller number of matches they get, unless they're one of those few. So it was this new world of dating that I was thrust into after my marriage. After waiting two to three months after that initial date, I downloaded three dating apps, Tinder, Bumble, and Mutual. These are three vastly different dating platforms, and I had no idea what the differences were between the three because I had been sheltered in my marriage bubble. But that leads me to dating tip number three. 
Decide what you are searching for in dating and choose the dating apps and self-marketing accordingly. For some people, they are looking for short-term hookups. Others are looking for just fun and friends. Others are looking for long-term relationships and marriage. And each dating app or online dating platform can be geared towards what you are looking for. Now, being as green to online dating as anyone after divorce, I dove right into the only dating app I knew about at the time, Tinder. Now, since then, I found out that Tinder is known as more of a hookup app. You find couples looking for a third, you find people just looking for sex, and you find a lot of scam profiles as well. But there are also some fun people that are just using it as another dating app. I didn't know any of this, and I certainly had never experienced this new phenomenon, new to me at least, of swiping right and trying to match up with people. And let me tell you, it was disheartening. I found an article in the Sydney Morning Herald about the match percentages of males and females on Tinder. The researchers created equally attractive male and female profiles and swiped on every single person in the app. The female profile matched with 10% of the profiles, and the male profile matched with a measly 0.6% of the profiles, and most of those were gay or bisexual men. Now, those are not great odds, if I'm being honest. I'd love to have greater success than a 0.6% match rate. Yet, even with that match rate, I was able to go on a few fun dates, and I even met a great girl on Tinder. She was super smart, educated, very gorgeous, and self-sufficient. As an added bonus, she had young children, which is a bonus in my book because they know what it means to be a parent and to have conflicting priorities. So we went to dinner, we went hiking on Antelope Island, we went bowling, and after bowling, I completely chickened out, and I didn't kiss her. So, before a trip to Hawaii, I asked her out one last time, and I kissed her. And then I was gone for three weeks. Yes, a three-week vacation to Hawaii. It was great. (laughs) Well, she had moved on by then and reconnected with an old friend. So that leads us to dating tip number four. Having ups and downs while dating is completely normal. Luckily, I wasn't attached. We'd only been on four dates, so it wasn't a big deal. It was just a little disappointing but I was able to continue dating and meeting other people. Because of this one experience, though, there's a part of me that downloads Tinder just in case I find one of those diamonds among the weeds. Yes, I download and delete dating apps depending on how I'm feeling. But you have to pull a lot of weeds to find that flower. I already talked about Married Sushi Girl, but she was fun. We had a good date. I just knew I wanted to date someone who was further from her divorce. But that wasn't the worst of it. I also was chatting with a girl for about a week, and the conversation was going great. We had planned a first date. Well, one of the things I do before going on dates is I see if I can find the person's Facebook profile. This is just a a double-check, confirmation that they're real, and to give me a better idea of who they are. Now, I couldn't find this girl's profile, which is fine. I don't always find their profiles, and I don't spend an inordinate amount of time on it. But she had told me her profession, which happened to be a therapist managing her own office and specializing in group couple sessions meant to strengthen marriage. 
Now, as someone who has been to many therapists, see episode 7 back for the juicy details, I knew that there was an online therapist directory where you can find therapists based on their specialties. So I looked up women therapists and I found her. And it was pretty quickly, actually. Only her name was slightly different and her bio talked about her two kids, which she had mentioned, and her husband, which she had not mentioned. From this, I found her Facebook page and she had posted only a month earlier to her husband, Happy birthday, babe. You're the best husband and father a girl could ask for. Hmm. Well, I messaged her. I said we should probably cancel the date because I saw her Facebook page and it looked like she was still married. So she read my message and her profile disappeared. She deleted it immediately. That leads me to dating tip number five. People lie, lie, lie on dating apps. Hinge, another dating app, surveyed their users and found that 38% of men and 24% of women reported being on the receiving end of lies on dating apps. Now, most aren't big lies like, surprise, I'm married. Most are small lies about height, weight, age, whether something actually came up that night or you actually just want to lie in bed browsing through Facebook or Instagram. Some are lies of omission. Guys wearing hats in every pic. Yep, they're bald, as am I. To women posting old pictures from high school. Yep, you're 40 now. You're no longer 18, so please post pictures of your age. Now, these types of lies are usually benign. If a guy posts in the app that he's 6'2 and you show up to date and he's 5'4, you can write it off as someone willing to lie right off the bat just like the misrepresentation of my sushi date. So it's also almost good. So you can say, okay, nope, not going out with you again. But there's also much bigger liars out there, which leads me to dating tip number six. Be extra cautious. There are people out there who are only out to prey on the lonely and the vulnerable. If someone is calling you babe, and telling you they're in love right after less than an hour or even a week of chatting, then there is a high likelihood that they are either a scammer, a wacko, or someone who is trying to take advantage of you. And if they aren't one of those things, then they need to reevaluate how they go about dating. If they start asking for money because they want to visit, or if they start asking for money for any reason, cut ties and run. If they want to know where you live right away, do not give out your address until you've met them a few times and you feel comfortable with them. Go to a public place for your first meeting. Tell friends and family what you're doing and trust your gut. If you get a weird vibe, reschedule or cut contact with a quick goodbye so you don't ghost the person. After this experience with the married gal... I deleted Tinder and I downloaded Mutual, which is specific for LDS people. Interestingly enough, I had a high match percentage on Mutual, probably because there is a higher percentage of strong, smart, beautiful women to strong, smart, handsome men who are LDS. I went on some fun dates. I met some fun people. The downside to Mutual was that it felt like a fast track to marriage. It felt kind of like a meat market. Let me share a story from before I had met my ex-wife and was dating around to illustrate how it felt. I have a close friend who I've known for a couple decades who wanted to try out a church in Salt Lake City. 
mainly because it was comprised exclusively of single men and women. This friend was is named Taylor. We walked into this church, and as I walked down the aisle to find a place to sit, I could feel eyes on me from all corners of the room, boring into my skull. I felt like a piece of discount Wagyu beef at a farmer's market, and it was uncomfortable. Well, I sat down. I barely listened to what the speaker was saying. My friend, in the meantime, was happily listening to the speaker announce that after the meeting, there would be a mix and mingle where you could mix and mingle among the singles. I didn't hear any of this. The only thought running through my head was, get me the heck out of here. Well, it was at that perfect point where they had announced the mix and mingle, which I did not hear, and where I was just wanting to get out of there, that my friend leaned over and asked, Do you want to go? I felt pure relief, because I thought he meant, Do you want to leave? And I said, After the sacrament? Well, he thought I meant, I wanted to go to the mix and mingle after the meeting. I thought he meant he wanted to leave right then, but I at least wanted to stay until after the sacrament. So with completely different ideas in our heads, we waited until after the sacrament, which was just a small portion of the beginning of the meeting. And then I got up and I started making a beeline for the door. I looked back and he was looking at me confused. So I waved him forward and I kept walking out of the room, all eyes watching, and I could not give a crap. As I walked down the hall, outside of the main meeting room, my friend ran up behind me. Where are you going? You asked if I wanted to leave. I said after the sacrament. No, I meant do you want to go to the mix and mingle after church? Well, <laughs> I won that one. We left right then and there. But that experience was enough to make me vow never to attend a singles church again. And that's how I felt on Mutual. So after trying that for a bit, I moved on to Bumble, which has been my preferred app for several reasons. It's more classy than Tinder because it caters more to people who aren't looking just for hookups. Another reason I like it is that the girl has to send the first message. In fact, they are the only ones that are allowed to send the first message after a match. What this means is that if a woman sends a message after a match, there's a much higher likelihood at least higher than 0.6%, that she is interested in you. So if you can text a good game, you're on your way to a first date. Now, texting a good game is another matter, especially when you've been out of the game for so long and texting came about after you were married. It can be discouraging. But if you are discouraged, know that you are not alone. Do you remember Bill Butterworth? the divorced man who gave a date a Myers-Briggs personality test on their first date, that first date that seemed so awkward ended up lasting a long time. They laughed at the results and ended up talking late into the night. And as it so happens, this is the woman he ended up marrying. This was his second wife. So there is hope for us out there, those of us who are awkward. Those of us who miss the carefree dating days of yore, where the dates flowed like mead, or however things flowed in days of yore. For those of us who used to be brimming with confidence, and have had it crushed out of us, and are still in the rebuilding stages. Those of us who take a year to fully open up to someone. There is hope for those of us like that. 
So to summarize the minimal dating tips I've gone over in this episode, one, you can dip your toes in the water, but try to be ready before you jump in fully. For some people, it may take a while. For others, they may have already started dating before the divorce was final. Or maybe that's a contributing factor to the divorce. But take some time. Take the time that you need to jump into the water fully. Number two, trust selectively. Uh, This one's a no-brainer. Don't just immediately trust someone who's asking for money or anything like that. Number three, decide what you are searching for in dating and choose the dating apps and self-marketing accordingly. Don't act like you want a serious relationship if you are only looking for friends and fun dates. Dating tip number four, having ups and downs while dating is normal. You'll find people who break up with you and you'll find people who fall in love with you who you aren't really into. There's heartache on both sides when dating after divorce and the trauma we bring into our dating lives from our divorce can contribute to it. Number five, this relates to number two as well, people lie, lie, lie on dating apps. Most are little white lies, but some are bigger. Don't expect the gal you lied to to fall in love, even though you misrepresented yourself. And the same goes for the gal who thinks the guy will be wowed by your personality and wit, even though you posted high school pictures of yourself 20 years after graduating. And finally, number six, be extra cautious. There are scammers, there are liars, there are bad people out there. So take care of yourself. Now, this is just the tip of the dating iceberg. I have another dating episode planned for some time in the future because there are so many other aspects about it that you could do a podcast on dating alone. But for now, use those initial tips as you start to get ready to date after divorce. And take this last tip to heart. Consider it a bonus tip. Fake it till you make it. If you are missing those olden days when you had unlimited confidence, fake it until you're back to that level. If you are nervous about a date and pretend you're not nervous, adopt a posture that exudes nonchalance. That's a tip I learned for talking to auditors at my job, and it actually helps with dating as well. Now, for the next episode in a couple weeks, it'll be the week of Thanksgiving, so I'm going to talk about gratitude, thankfulness, and divorce. Uh, That's something that if you're close to divorce, if you're in those early stages, you might not have much that you are grateful for. Or you might be grateful that you're getting out of a bad, abusive situation. There are so many things that we can be grateful for. And that's what I'm going to talk about next time. Until then. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce, and follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, The Divorce Tribe. Until next time.